Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. It's great to be gathering with you again, wherever you are, and whenever you might be watching this as well. We're really mindful that people are gathering on a Sunday morning, but also watching throughout the week according to their work schedules as well. So great to have you with us. I just want to take a moment to celebrate the affirmation of Karen Wilson in covenant relationship with the Horsham Church of Christ. Uh, Karen has moved to Horsham a little while ago and has found a home with the Horsham Church of Christ and uh, works in stall but loves the community here and has made a couple of great connections with friends and family of the Horsham Church of Christ too. So welcome, Karen. We celebrate your affirmation and your desire to be a part of the body that is the Horsham Church of Christ and we give thanks to you. You've joined us today on the second week of our new series, God, Money and Me, Creating a Pathway to Financial Freedom. Uh, This series, uh, like all our teaching series, is based on the biblical wisdom, but we're also using the book of the same title, God, Money and Me, by Paul DeJong, the senior pastor of Life Church in New Zealand. So we're grateful for the wisdom and the experience that Paul's been able to bring to this topic as well. We're really mindful that there are a number of responses that we might be experiencing and maybe there already have been uh, last week when we introduced why we're doing this series and even as you switch it on and begin to watch this message again today, there will already be a number of responses. Some of you might be thinking that you've already got all the information that you need about your faith and money. And maybe you've kind of already distanced yourself before you've reached the remote control and begun, thought about switching it off. We want to encourage you as followers of Jesus to stay with us, to be present as one of our core values in this time, to be courageous. And if you feel like you're in a good place with your finances and you've really created a healthy pathway to your financial freedom, who can you as a follower of Jesus, as a mature follower of Jesus, be discipling, teaching, training, in this subject, because this is a huge subject for our community at the moment. Maybe you're joining us for the first time or the third time and you're still young in the faith. You're not even sure you're interested in the church and you're exploring who this Jesus is and you're hearing the word money. We really want to encourage you to stay with us, not because of the topic about money, but because we believe that God wants a personal relationship with you. And so we're believing and praying that God wants to transform you, bring you hope and healing in your relationships and in the community and in the heart and your mind and your spirit, which will overflow into every aspect of our lives. So we really want to encourage you to stay with us as well. Maybe you are reaching for the remote control because you've heard all this before and you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, I've got other things to do besides hear another message on money. This isn't just about money. This is about our relationship with God first and the relationship that we share with others and the relationship that money has with us and how we view that. And we want to encourage you again to be present with us. And if you, again, you are a follower of Jesus and maybe you're not that great with money or working some things out, at least stay with us as part of the community. Again, be present, be generous with your time, be courageous and authentic in this conversation. And maybe you're sitting here and your response is, hey, I'm really sitting on the edge of my seat. This is timely for me. We're really looking forward to this. Then may our hearts be open, our minds, our spirits be open and hungry for the ministry and the work that God wants to do 
amongst us. You know, transformation requires a decision. It requires a movement, a moment, and several moments along the way. Not just a moment, but many moments throughout our lives. The writer to the Hebrews says that in chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And today we're going to be exploring a few myths around money. What is it that we believe about money? Maybe what are the lies that we've been told, the lies that we've picked up, and we don't even know where we've picked them up. But what is the myths that we believe and how do they entangle us? And we want to encourage you as you hear these myths, begin throwing them off because that's our decision. What we believe and how we participate in a relationship with a loving father depends on how we throw off uh, what hinders us. As much as what God has done for us and revealed through Jesus, there is a point where we have to choose what we will throw off. Before we uh, explore these myths a little bit further, we promised last week that we'd be hearing some tips from our CAP money coaches. So we want to offer that tip right now. Today I'm going to talk about needs and wants. A few years ago, my daughter and I both bought a cordless vacuum cleaner, exactly the same as this one, same brand, same model. A few weeks ago, I was visiting my daughter and I thought I'd help her out by doing some vacuuming. She had purchased a brand new one, really super duper. It had more power, the battery lasted longer before it needed charging, and it just in every way seemed better, easier, much easier to clean than the ones we'd previously bought. And I thought, I want one of these. But I decided I would wait till I got home and uh, perhaps buy one in Horsham next time I was in town. By the time I'd got home and started using my old vacuum cleaner again, I thought, now hang on a minute, there's nothing wrong with this vacuum cleaner. I don't really need one but I wanted one because it was so much easier. The difference was my daughter needed a vacuum cleaner because hers had broken town. I just wanted one because I thought it was better. While these tips might be general in nature, uh, we want to encourage you to consider attending a, a CAP money course at some time in the future. We're not sure when that will be, but we'd love for you to register your interest. And I think the details were at the start of this service uh, and will again be at the end of this service as well. Before we go any further into these myths and what the scripture says about these myths, uh, let's take a moment just to pray together as we open up God's word together. Father, we want to thank you for your blessings. We want to thank you for your provision. We want to thank you for who you are. We want to declare your goodness. We want to declare that you love us and that in that love that you will move us into a deeper understanding of who you are, a deeper appreciation and knowledge of who you are, not just as a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, a heart encounter and experience so that you would transform our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of those who have gone before us. And we pray that you would give us new insight, a deeper understanding and honesty about the things that we might be holding on to that we need to throw off so that we might more fully experience your transformation. We praise you and honour you and look forward to all that you will do in this time together today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you ready to go? Got your pen and paper ready, version Bible app open or your Bible's open. 
We're going to be exploring a number of scriptures today that will have a powerful impact upon you. So the first myth that we often get caught up in is that we shouldn't focus on money. Well, let's go right in and jump straight into it. If we don't give focus to it, we will give the wrong attention to it. Let me go even a bit more specific. If we don't give the right focus to money, we will give the wrong attention to it. Often we think about, if you think about how we look at our money, we don't have enough money. How am I going to pay the next bill? Guess what you're doing? You're focusing on money. If you think about how much money that you've got and wanting to protect your bank accounts, and if you've got enough money that will help you sustain your retirement and plan, you know, there's healthy wisdom about planning it. But if it's taking up every day, every hour, every conversation, guess what? You're giving focus to it. So we need to give the right focus to it. Otherwise, we give the wrong attention to it. And that's what we want to challenge today. We shouldn't focus on our money is a myth because many of us do. We just say that when we're talking about Christian teaching often. When we talk about it in the church, this is often one of the subjects that we want to move away from. Why is that when it's so prevalent through all of Scripture? Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. How do we give attention to it in a healthy way? If we don't focus on it, it will have the wrong attention. And remember this verse that we raised last week, and we might hear it again a few weeks in a row because I think it's one that needs to sink deeply and richly into us to bring about new life. Jesus says when he talks about treasure and where we gain our treasure, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is a great servant, a terrible master. Where's your focus on it? We are giving our focus to it, whether we acknowledge it or not. Paul de Jong in his book says this, money can release so much, but equally, when we find ourselves under its power, we end up living in a place of restriction and at times overwhelming domination. Jesus constantly warned about wrong lordship. And once again, Satan uses money to seek to control us. It's a tough statement, isn't it? What is it that has our hearts? Who is our Lord? And how does our money reflect who is Lord over our lives? Let's look at some biblical reflections on this topic. 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables talk about um, or deal with money and possessions. Nearly 25% of, of Jesus' words deal with stewardship. That is how we care, how we respond to care, how we respond to the, the care of our resources and the distribution or the redistribution of our resources. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with money, either using money as an example, because Jesus knows the power of money and how much it easily captures people's attention, or dealing directly with how we use our money. And this one astounds me, and there's people who are smarter than me that have come up with this, but there's more than 2,000 scriptures, more than 2,000 scriptures that talk about tithing, money, stewardship or care, and possessions. More than 2,000 scriptures. Now, if you're going, well, that's not really a lot in the whole context of the Bible, consider that those more than 2,000 scriptures on this topic, on those topics, is actually two times more than anything that's said about faith or prayer. 
This is how significant this topic is. I read this quote when talking about money from Jessie Wisniewski. Uh, she says, we will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. If Jesus is about restoring the world, if Jesus is about transforming the world, bringing healing to the world, and if he's about restoring us spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, sure, and uh, in terms of creation as well, surely that is also about restoring how we use what we have before us, including our money. Restoring our mindset, restoring our hearts, giving the right focus to money will come out of a desire to honour God first. So yeah, we need to give the right focus to money. Otherwise, we will give the wrong attention to it. Myth number two, God's blessings are not material. Been really thinking about this and struggled to unpack this. I had so many different ideas and expressions and trying to say this in the right way. And in the end, I came to this one sentence, I suppose, in many ways. What we're actually saying here, or are we actually saying, are we putting a full stop on God's blessings? Is that what we're doing? Is that, are, we, are we putting a limit to how God wants to bless us? And again, we think about God will bless me spiritually. And that's a beautiful kind of expression. I'm sure we all love the idea, especially if you've been around the church for any longer time. We love the idea that God will bless us spiritually. Oh no, God either hasn't or he won't or he shouldn't bless us material or, or with the provisions that we have around us. So we're putting a full stop to what God wants to do in us and through us and with us and for us. How big is our God? I think the response to this statement might be a little bit out of uh, two different things. It might either be out of fear or it's out of pride. Let me explain. It's out of fear because we don't want to be seen to be declaring a prosperity gospel. That is, if we believe in God, we get more. Now, that's a nonsense. That's not what we're saying at all because there's plenty of people who believe in God and have less. So we, we acknowledge that. We recognize the tension in that. But it's a fear that we have. Well, Scripture tells us that God doesn't want us operating out of fear, but out of love. So what does that look like? The other side of that, of course, is that we declare how hard we have worked for what we have. And that's a statement of pride. And it's also a statement of um, unsettled because at some point we have to work out if I'm going to trust God with everything that I am and everything that I have, that will also include my possessions and my money. But if I declare how hard I've worked to get where I am and to get what I have, that's a tough thing to give up, isn't it? And following Jesus demands sacrifice. So we can't put a full stop on God's blessings. And it's not healthy and it's not the heart of God that we operate out of fear or out of pride because of both of those responses are an indication of our heart and that, I guess, idolatry, that we put something or someone before and above God and the goodness of his love. This text is incredible from so long ago to God, from God to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, 
The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And then he says in verse 12, he gives a whole list of blessings. And then he says, you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Man, every time I read that, that somehow takes my breath away. Like, what would that look like for the church today to take that seriously? To receive the blessing of God, not as a, not as a prosperity doctrine, but as a promise, as a declaration that we are here to bless the world. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. It gives that we can have wealth without the sense of pressure or expectation or anguish that we so often associate with wealth. This is a real challenge for us. And our capacity, I think, to bless others is a reflection of our trust in God and his material provision. You think about this. If God's um, blessings are not material, why then do we give blankets or food or money or offer hospitality in the name of Jesus? God's blessings need to be material if we're to bless others as followers of Jesus because they are gifts from God for us to steward and distribute. We know many of us would know this verse. If you've been around the church or been reading the Bible for any length of time, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus talking about his sheep coming in through the gate, hearing his voice, and he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations say in abundance, with extreme, overflowing, what other, you know, Extravagant. Where, how do you limit that? Can, how do we limit that? What right have we got to limit that given the goodness and the love of God? Now we know in this there's a tension because we know there's many who are without. There's many who have struggled with poverty. There's many who have made the decision to live in poverty. This isn't um, a, a declaration that God's love is a guarantee to more. That's not what we're saying at all. But it is a challenge to our mentality that we limit God's blessings. It is the opportunity and the invitation to, again, to steward and redistribute and care for our neighbourhoods, our cities and our nations. Let's not put a full stop on God's blessings. The third myth is that the Bible teaches that money is evil. Again, we only ever hear this when Christians talk about money and it's reading the text wrong, to be quite blunt about it. And interestingly, no one thinks about buying groceries as evil. No one thinks about putting petrol in the car as evil. We don't even think about buying our um, coffees as evil or hot chocolates or having our avocado on toast as evil or buying our homes as evil. No one thinks about paying our rent as evil. Guess what all that requires? Money. Money in itself isn't evil. Supporting mission or charity organisations. No one considers that to be evil. It needs money and it needs the right use of our money. So let's look at what the text does say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And only one root, I just saw that this week, is a root. It's not the root, it is a root. It is an expression that begins to send out all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, and again, hear the distinction, 
eager for money, becomes the wrong attention, gives the wrong focus, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a beautiful text. And if you read the text around, it actually talks about living contently, living graciously with what we have. It doesn't say that money is evil. It says the pursuit of it, the eagerness of it, the love of it, the, folk, the wrong focus of money is a root of all kinds of of evil. In verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. So it's not saying there won't be people who um, are wealthy, it's saying there are those who are wealthy. Consider the attention and the focus that we give to it. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Whoa, there it is. God's blessing again has no full stop. Um, a lot depends on the heart and the attitude that we bring with it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Money doesn't change you as much as it unmasks the real you. Money doesn't change you as much as it unmasks the real you. Many of us have um, experienced the devastating impact of fires. They have been destructive. They have been overwhelming. They have left us with emotional scars, uh, a sense of fear or apprehension. They leave a, this carryover as we think about the black earth, the blackened earth, and you drive away and you come home and gardens are gone and everything's black. Everything seems to take ages to come back. Fires that have no container become destructive, but a fire in the right container, in a fire pit, in a fireplace, uh, can bring an enormous sense of comfort, warmth, and even invite a deepening conversation. You think about campfire conversations. How many romances have started around campfires? See, there's power in a healthily contained fire. Same is true of money. Contained in the right vessel with the right heart, it's a powerful tool, a great servant. Next myth, my money response is private. How are you going? I hope you're keeping up. It is fairly um, intense, isn't it? Moving through it fairly quickly, but I hope it's powerful for you. I just got to this text um, in Acts uh, chapter 3, chapter 4, sorry. I don't actually know what text it is. Now you'll have to look that up for yourself. I've got two different written two different texts. Um, from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, this was about people who had made a personal decision, based their decision based upon their personal relationship with God, revealed through the resurrected Jesus. So there had been that personal decision but there was nothing private about the decision that they had made. There was very clear and distinct accountability and offering about the way that they used their resources. Now, if you want to test out and check out the difference between personal and private, a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 5, we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, 
seek to be false about the amount of money that they had from the sale of property. Again, they could have made a personal decision. They came to the apostles. They came to the spiritual overseers of that church at that time and they lied about what they had. They had made a private decision to lie. There is a difference between personal and private. And when we think private, we're withdrawing in ourselves. And there are moments that we need to be private in our faith. We need, there might be times where we need to be private in our prayer. We, we don't need to be shouting from the mountaintops some decisions that we make. But there's also in a personal relationship, when we make that personal relationship with Jesus, that cannot be separated from community. And to do so creates isolation, it creates fear, it feeds pride, and it dishonours God. And it dishonours his body. My money cannot be private. And so often we think about it private because we don't really want to fully surrender to Jesus. Now, if we're to be honest, we, we might come up with many other excuses. But we don't want to talk about money because we don't really want to fully surrender to Jesus in that way with everything that we have. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they fell down dead because they lied about how much money they brought to their spiritual overseas. Now, I haven't heard of it happening since, but it should serve as a bit of a warning to us. Our lives and our faiths, while there might be a personal decision, they are by no means private and they are meant to be expressed and open, transparent, vulnerable uh, for the kingdom of God to be expressed and spoken about. And with, without wise counsel or openness, they become a foothold of the enemy to steal, kill and destroy. Randy Alcorn, uh, author and uh, speaker, says there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try and divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. I think that's a powerful statement. When was the last time we put our budget before God? honestly and openly, and left it there for a bit? When was the last time we actually sought some wise counsel of some spiritual advisors or those who we've seen to be growing and maturing, just those who are even just a couple of steps ahead of us and say, can you have a look at a budget for us? How are we doing this? How are we honouring God with this? And to have some open, honest questions asked. Now, if you really want to test the difference between personal and a private relationship with God, um, and let me, let me just say, the world doesn't need more private Christians. <laughs> we don't need followers of Jesus who are private. The world right now needs personal, people in a personal relationship that seek to go out into the world with all that we have and all that we are. But if you want to test this, sit with someone this, uh, this week and ask them a question. How, sorry, gone too quickly. Ask them a question. How does following Jesus transform you? How does following Jesus transform your viewing habits? Start with an easy question. How does following Jesus transform the way that you think about the relationship that you have with your enemies? How does following Jesus transform the way that you view your work? How does following Jesus transform the way that you um, speak about others? How does following Jesus transform the way that you view yourself? Love your family. Participate in marriage. How does following Jesus transform the way that you think about and use money. One last myth. The past determines our future. And this is kind of a, a combination of a couple of myths that Paul de Jong explores in his book. Uh, 
those myths being it would be different if I had more. I'm stuck and there's no way out. I, I, that's a summary. I guess what I'm saying here is a summary of those two myths. This is the mindset that comes out of guilt and shame where we just believe the mistakes that I've made in the past are my only future that I have. And I want to say to you really clearly today, no. God wants to speak something very differently and clearly to you. God has the power to release you and set you free in every aspect, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially. Now, that doesn't mean there's not some consequences about some decisions. We might have to take some time and some steps. But we don't have to live in condemnation or shame or guilt because that's not the heart of the Father. Remember, Jesus came to bring life in abundance. And if you get nothing else out of today, take that promise away and seek to apply that across your life. But we might have, um, the difference isn't how much we have. It is, it's not in what we have done. The difference isn't how much of a mess we have made, how poor we are, or the poor financial decisions we've made, or how rich we are. The, the difference is made in the view that we have of a loving God, of one who overwhelmingly, abundantly, immeasurably loves us. It is important in this moment, um, wherever we are, that we know who we are, we know the one we serve, and that we see what we have now. Mark um, describes Mark chapter 8, and Jason referred to it in one of the Gospels, out of the Gospel of John, thousands coming, Jesus has compassion on them, turns to his disciples, you feed them. Oh, what are we going to feed them? And Jesus just looks at them and says, how many loaves do you have? Start there. What do you have? What do you have? And submit that, surrender that to a loving, abundant father and see what he does. See the new future he wants to create out of his love. Matthew chapter 6 says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's not in how much we have or how much we don't have, but in the view of the master. It's in this moment, whatever decisions we've made in the past and whatever we think about our future, this is a moment where we can choose how we plant ourselves and where we plant ourselves. Listen to this from Jeremiah uh, chapter 17. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Between the promise of God restoring our lives and the provision that we might get is my responsibility. What do I need to throw off? What do I need to take a hold of? What do I need to lay down in submission to God and all that he has done through Jesus? What do I need to pick up? It's a big question. It's a challenging question. And we come back to the start. What is it that we might need to throw off? What is it that hinders us and so easily entangles us in sin today? See, God has crafted us in his image to care for and release greater blessing out of the overflow of his love. It's not just about half filling, quarter filling, three quarters filling, but it's about an overflow <laughs> I mean, that changes our mindset dramatically, doesn't it? When we think about God wanting to be overflowing. 
abundant, extravagant. Now, there's no doubt there are seasons of heat. There are seasons of drought. There are seasons of hardship. There are seasons of blessing. There are seasons of uh, challenges, unexpected and prepared for. And yet when we plant ourselves in the love of the Father, we can continue to bear his fruit, regardless of the circumstances happening around us. Which myth do you believe? Do you believe that we shouldn't focus on money? Do you believe that God's blessings are not material? Do you believe that money is evil? Do you believe our response is private or our past determines our future? Today is an invitation, as every day is an opportunity to say, this is the moment where I want to trust God with everything that I am and everything that I have. Everything we talk about is primarily about a relationship with God revealed through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Everything that we have, everything we are starts with relationship. Whatever your experience today, wherever you have been, whatever you have done, whatever you haven't done, how much of a mess you might have made of your life, the poor financial decisions that you might have made or are making right now today could be the catalyst for something new. And all we need to do is just stop for long enough to say, God, that's it. I surrender. I choose to trust in you. I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour. And you can do it in your homes, in your cars, um, in your workplaces. You can do it as you're standing in a queue watching this during the week. Just, God, I need you. Now, this is a costly life. I'm not going to lie to you. It does cost us something. And God will lead us into places that feel uncomfortable. But he is the great comfort, the great healer, the great hope. And he invites us to trust him. And I pray that today, friends, if this is your first time or the thousandth time, the 18th time that you've been gathering with us online, then may God ministry minister powerfully and freely into your hearts, minds, spirits and into your lives so that you can know his blessing, the overflow, the abundant blessing of his love for you.